Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. And, hey, really quickly, folks, this is digital. We go out on podcasts and, you know, all that. And uh, we're doing really well. Thanks so much uh, for your support on this uh, Listen Notes has us ranked in the top one half of 1% of 3 million podcasts, and that's because of you guys, and you're spreading the word. But we need to share these shows with liberals, with Democrats, that have so traditionally locked into what they're doing that we need to confront them lovingly with the errors of their ways and to let them hear for themselves what's, what kind of party they're really supporting. So please share these far and wide. We have a great guest for us with us today, and her name is uh, Hillary McElhaney. She's a healthcare professional, or she was, and she has written a book called "You're on Your Own: Preparing for the Impending Healthcare Crisis." <clears throat> and what has yours truly been telling you? It's coming, bad. It's a bad one on the horizon, folks. I talk to a lot of people in the medical industry, and uh, you're not going to hear this in the mainstream media. Because who's the biggest advertising mainstream media in nighttime? Yeah, it's Big Pharma. It's the medical people. So they're not going to tell you. But uh, we are in some real crisis right now. And not to mention our society seems to be hanging by a thread. We did avert the railroad strike temporarily. The voters uh, from the unions, they still have to cast their votes. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Because uh, if they don't stay on the job getting food will be interesting and medicine so anyway let me just cover a couple items of business here very quickly um people say dave do you still have your tv show i'm saying where have you been yeah the common sense show.tv sign up today we usually get a panel of experts in there and we're trying to help you have a softer landing with what's going on so take care of that also too i'm really really concerned about our food supply you know I was slow to come to the conspiracy table on the destruction of the food processing plants, but I read through the list about 10 days ago, and over 70 of these have burned down, 70 of the 106 that have been destroyed since Biden came into power. Now, if you want to be a coincidence there, that's up to you. I'll wear that label now as conspiracy. I'm ready to say there's a lot more going on here than random chance. So you need storable food. And it's still the same deal. No price increase. They still have the sale. 25-year shelf life. 2,000 calories per day. High in caloric content. You go, whoa, I don't want that. Yeah, you do. If you're eating storable food, you're eating to survive. So you need high-calorie food. And so we'd really encourage you to order now. Go to foodwithdave.com. 
That's foodwithdave.com. And are you worried about the grid going down? Well, in California, it already is. And uh, Energy Secretary Grantham said that's going to be the national model. And then she walked the comment back the next day. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know the story. She meant it. She wouldn't have said it if she didn't mean it. And she got too much blowback. Uh, if the grid goes down for any length of time, you're going to have trouble getting water. You'll have to scavenge. And you probably won't have trouble finding water. You'll have trouble finding drinking water. So that's why we sell the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's number one. Uh, all the research is at waterwithdave.com. You can look at that. They, too, have not raised their prices. They, too, ha- are doing a great job keeping costs down. And they still have a sale. But it's number one for filtering out bad water. So I'd urge you to to really take advantage of this great offer, waterwithdave.com. And then last but not least, uh, as you know, the Mike Lindell people reached out to us to advertise for him. And uh, we had all his products. And anyway, my wife just went crazy buying all his stuff. She loves it. We have the bed sheets, the slippers, everything is tremendous. And now you know that Mike has been uh, accosted persecuted by the fbi they stole his phone from him where he does his business he doesn't have a computer a lot of people don't know that about mike Uh, but what does mike do besides sell great products he defends election integrity like we do he's looking for it he demands answers and he's your best friend if you want to retain the constitution so there's a lot of reasons to shop with mike but most of all great products go to I have to think of the title. Okay, mystore.com. I just had a brain aneurysm there. Sorry, folks. Mystore.com. Coupon code is Hodges, and everything is half off or two for one. Everything. And you're going to say, God, it's all there. The sheets, pillowcasings, the slippers, the doggy beds, everything. Yeah, it's all half off. So anyway, that takes care of our advertising for live reads for the show. We do like the BBC. Do it up front. And uh, Hillary McElhaney is a career professional in the medical field she has seen it all in 20 years and i would imagine her desire to sit down and write the book and we'll ask her was probably based on some frustration and also concerned for the public because as things are today they may not be this way tomorrow let me read you just a small excerpt from the back of hillary's book before we bring her on what would you do if someone in your family was injured or became ill What if the hospital was full, there was civil unrest, or infectious disease that was rampant? Do you understand basic health principles? Do you have what you need at home to manage illnesses and minor injuries? Do you know how to perform basic medical skills? Well, her book is like the how-to to do all these things. It's the essentials of home health care. And we, we see all these survival guides, and they're really, really good, like Nehemiah Strong and our guest John Dislin that we've had on a few times. Uh, great book. But what people aren't really covering is the medical aspect of it. Because what are you going to do when no one's answering 911? They can't send an ambulance. What will you do? Well, we have Hillary here to tell us. Hillary, welcome to the show. First time guest on the show. Glad you're here. And uh, it's r- really an honor to go through this book. I mean, this is really well done. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate you inviting me to have this conversation. And I really hope that I can provide some value to you as well as your audience. Well, you've already helped me. I mean, th- these are some um, dinner time discussions my wife and I are going to have here. I was reading something, highlighted some things. I go, oh, my gosh. This is stuff that we haven't even considered. And and we know 
that some shutdowns are in our future. There's no question. We're being set up for it. There's no question. And uh, people have to take this stuff seriously. But what motivated you to sit down and say, okay, I need to write a book? Um, well, okay. So back in back when COVID became something that was like in the public consciousness in early 2020, I noticed that um, people panicked. You know, people were really, really quick to panic. The I think initially the hospitals and testing centers looked like they were pretty busy, and I thought to myself that if if people could just handle some of these early signs at home without panicking, we wouldn't have this issue where the hospitals are so overrun with people. A lot of them are the worried well, you know, people who really have maybe a sniffle or a, a little bit of a fever, but their first instinct is to run out and get checked or get tested or, um, you know, have a doctor look at them. And that, that's how you crash a healthcare system really quickly. Yeah. And I don't think there's enough slack that would be picked up by video healthcare. Do you? Oh, not at all. Um, if, if somebody really can't get a clear picture of you, if they can't lay their hands on your skin, listen to you with a, an actual stethoscope, it's really hard to get a, a good bead on how well or how ill someone really is. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, I look at this book and I'm just saying there's so much here. Uh, I wanted to ask you how you would prioritize this. People look at this and they go, because I think what my first reaction was, OMG, I only have some of this stuff, and I know how to do a few of these things, but I don't know how to do a lot of these things. And so what would you tell people, you know, like the bare essentials? What would you start with uh, to kind of get you through a bulk of crises, although not everyone? Sure. Um, I, well, first of first of all, Appendix A in the book is basically a shopping list. Mm-hmm. Not only not only a shopping list for products that are really good ideas to have, you know, things that you would want to have in your house for most things that could come up, but also a list of skills to to get up to speed on things that things that you may want to consider learning. I think probably the most important things that I would do if I were to prioritize is get your basic assessment. Um, equipment, things like a stethoscope and learn how to use it, um, th- a thermometer with backup batteries, a, a pulse oximeter. Um, you can get a portable pulse oximeter for somewhere between about 25 and $35 most places. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it gives you very, very good real-time information that you can then act on. Yeah. Um, let me go to the big one I was wondering, okay, for people, mm-hmm. um, the three big ones. Cancer, asthma, diabetes. Because if we're in a grid-down scenario, supply chain is choked, like if we'd have had the railroad strike in earnest, I I know 62% of all foods transported by rail, and I think it's about 12% of medicine. And, of course, China has issues uh, right now economically, and that's where most of our medicine comes from. So what would you say to people about those three areas that they couldn't get their insulin, their asthma medication, or their chemo? Are there natural workarounds? That's a really good question. Um, There are some workarounds in in some cases. Um, Insulin-dependent diabetics... uh, Goodness, I mean, unless you're able to stockpile some insulin and have some extra, 
they may be forced into a situation where they have to maybe even start rationing their doses, you know, rather, rather than shooting for a perfect blood sugar, maybe, uh, accept a little bit higher blood sugar for a while until, until services are resumed and they're able to get hold of some of their medication. Um, asthmatics, uh, there are some over the counter medications that are available that you, that in a pinch you could substitute in place of a rescue inhaler. I don't believe that they work as well. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not exactly apples and apples. Um, but having something like a primatine mist inhaler on hand just in case is better than having nothing. How hard is it for a person walking in off the street and they say to their doctor, you know, I'm asthmatic, I'm worried about someday if services weren't available, can you prescribe me two or three EpiPens? Would most doctors agree to do that? I think some will. Um, I, I know that my, when my, my doctor that I see, if, if I... If I see them every year, they'll write me a year's worth of prescription, but I don't get it all filled at one time. Yeah. Um, you may you may end up constrained by your insurance and have to pay. Um, oh, like like they may give you up to three months of medication at a time, but you may have to pay out of pocket if you wanted to get more than that. If they would even release it. Yeah, that's the key word is if they would release it. Right. Um, okay, they'll let fentanyl cross the border in mass, but we regulate the <laughs> heck out of our own citizens with not allowing them to stockpile medication. What's the reason for not allowing citizens to stockpile medication beyond three months? I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I've always wondered that. I mean, we have open-air drug markets now. And we're concerned about people stocking up on prescriptions. So um, right. it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I, the, the other thing that I was wondering here with asthma, though, I think you could probably get the EpiPens. And if not, you could always say, well, I had to use it on Tuesday and then the following Thursday. And, Doc, can I get two more? Because, you know, I can't get caught without. Uh, most doctors would be sympathetic to that, wouldn't they? I, I would think so. Yeah, um, you know the epi. Some of these epinephrine auto injectors are in short supply right now. It's it's on the list of drug shortages. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's every brand or if it's just one manufacturer. Yeah, I know someone that has them, and uh, the do the ex- expiration date. They tell me you can actually get an extra year out of them beyond the expiration date. I actually, was told that by a respiratory therapist, and. Um, that's, I think people should hear that one time. Of course, I'm not giving medical advice. I'm just saying, as I was told. So to me, those, those are big conditions. What about chemo? Cancer? Oh gosh, I have no, I have no idea. Um, yeah. If, that, like, if they ran out of a drug, there, there may be a time where, where they would be able to substitute something similar in the event of a drug shortage. Um, but yeah, that's that's a very real concern for a lot of people. I've asked a couple of medical professionals that question before, and they gave me a very similar answer to what you did. Say we're dependent on the system, <laughs> uh, and I I understand that. But then someone said, you know, Dave, the best thing someone can do right now when they have cancer is to never take any sugar. I, I've heard that as well, and I, I think it's a I think it's a really compelling argument. It really is. Well, let's let's get away from the pharmaceuticals just for a second. We can come back to them. But I wanted to go and talk about essential skills. In the book, you talk about essential knowledge, essential products you should have. But also, too, you need to do some procedures. Is, am, I, am I saying that correctly? 
Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, essential skills would be like kind of the hands on the, the doing of, of healthcare, like providing healthcare. Um, the, so the most, the most important thing it is to learn is to learn how to do a, a basic assessment. And th- that would include everything from getting. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here. And we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com and what it does is it goes into a container you lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches it's a 50-year warranty on the device it only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground and you can keep it for safekeeping and i'll tell you this is the way to hide your gold not in false walls but underground will be very very difficult to detect to find out more Go to BarrierGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. And we already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water with dave.com that's water with dave.com save eighty dollars for a short time gathering vital signs to being able to you know assess a pulse listen to somebody's lungs when they're breathing and and be able to just differentiate normal versus abnormal and that way it for one thing if everything is is appearing normal it gives you peace of mind and you can continue to watch and wait Although, um, if someone is having serious problems, you're going to find some abnormal um, assessment findings. And that gives you maybe that, that clue that this is one of those times when you would want to go definitely seek health care. If it's available. If it's available. Yeah, if it's available. That's that's the that's really the key phrase here. And that's why your book is so compelling. This is something that people need to read before the crisis arrives. Don't buy it, put it on your shelf and and don't absorb it until by then it might be too late. Um what about basic skills to do you, uh talk to the people here about stopping bleeding, uh open cuts that need to be sutured. 
Are these things that people can be trained to do? Oh, d- definitely. No, no, not sutures. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that on. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, stopping bleeding, um, doing basic wound care at home. It, it's actually not not that difficult. Um, I think everyone's first instinct is to really panic when they see blood and to assume that you're going to need to go get sutures at the hospital. And and that's just really not true. Um, actually, a lot of times at the hospital, when I worked in, in trauma care, what we would do a lot of times is put on the paper sutures, like those dairy strips that you can get mm-hmm, at, the, mm-hmm. at the pharmacy. And I don't, I don't know about your copay, but mine's pretty high. So if I went to the emergency room, I would be paying probably about $500 out of pocket for paper sutures that I could have purchased for about $10. Yeah, I get mine from Bob Griswold, a good friend of mine, comes on the show, he's a survival expert. He uh, he owns ready-made resources, and I get mine from him. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, they're not hard to learn how to use. They're easy. I mean, if you can, if you can put scotch tape on a package, it, it's that easy. Yeah, if I can do it. You know, I think just about anybody can do it. Although I will tell you this, and this is something that I'm sure that you would agree with. Everyone needs to go get first aid CPR trained. I completely agree. First aid and CPR. Um, and I think the CPR training now includes AED use, which is really mm-hmm. important. How to, how to use a defibrillator in case somebody starts to code in front of you. Yeah, I went and refreshed my skills a little over a year ago, and you're exactly right. That's uh, It was included in that, and we got to practice on the mannequins. But I was in a situation about 30 years ago where I was in a restaurant, and actually about 35 years ago, and I'd had CPR, first aid training. And they didn't have the AEDs then, and then someone collapsed. And I'm looking around. There's 50 people in this restaurant, and no one moved to help. Someone says, well, I'll go call 911. And I think they could be dead by that. I went over and started to do chest compressions. Um, I did the 30 chest compressions and so forth. And, and the paramedics came and said, we can't say for sure, but he may have saved this guy's life. And what I'm telling everyone out there, I'm not bragging about what I did. I'm just saying I was in a restaurant with about 49 people that had no clue what to do. Right. Right. But I, I had a guy collapse in front of me in line at Chipotle one day. Um, he just, he just, just dropped and he was, he was sweating. He was foaming at the mouth and, you know, I mean, luckily he still had a pulse, but just being able to do a really quick assessment and get him over on his side and tell the, the workers who were startled to call the ambulance, it really helped a lot. Yeah. Well, you probably saved a life and this is why people, you need to go do this. Don't wait for the crisis because the crisis could be on us at any time. I mean, when I highlighted in the beginning segment about grid down scenarios, inability to get drinkable water, food shortages. I mean, this is all real. This is not hyperbole, folks. We're about ready to see a Holocaust in Europe this winter. And, uh, you know, it could come here and you're going to be on your own. And the more of these skills you can learn, the better. What other skills should people learn how to perform? Things that you talk about in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, well, definitely, definitely bleeds. Bleeding stopping is, is a good thing. Good. But even even things like treating rashes, you know, skin eruptions happen. And, and anytime you have your skin impaired or breached in some way, it increases your risk of being able to pick an infection up because that your skin is a really good barrier against bacteria. It you know it helps keep bad stuff out. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, it, as soon as your skin is open, then you run the risk of, of picking up something and ending up with a tissue infection. So, um, you know, knowing what to do for the, I, I think I have a whole chapter devoted yes. to um, like skin care and wounds and things like that. Yep. Um, also, I, I would say the chapter I have on um, how, to, how to keep your environment really clean, like kind of um, like environmentally clean. That's a really good chapter to look over because I, it was until I read that that I had no idea. Hydrogen peroxide is one of the most versatile things that we have access to in terms of not not only being able to, to cleanse skin and surfaces. You can use it on almost every single surface, and it has a really broad spectrum of utility. You can use it. It, it will help combat viruses, bacteria, fungi, and, and, it, and it doesn't discolor fabrics, which is, which is kind of cool. Yeah, no, you're so right too. You know, I I go to a, a gym in in the Phoenix area when we drive into town, and the gym demands that people sanitize their workout station when they're done before they move on to the next machine. And I think that is so intelligent. Now I know it started because of COVID, but I think that's a healthy outgrowth from what was really negative situation. I think I think that's really good. You know, in chapter two. You do something here, and I think it bleeds over into what I asked about healthcare interventions that one can provide. You talk about essentials, uh, back to the basics, promotion of health. Now, in the field of psychology, we refer to this as neural vegetative habits. You want to break? You want to break these down for the people in terms of what they could do to maximize their health without ever seeing a doctor. Um, sure. That this is something that I, I'm really a fan of. Um, Flor- yeah, Florence Nightingale worked on all of this way back in the 1800s, and it was popular until we got really high tech with healthcare. And I think a lot of this gets ignored now. But yeah, fresh air. Um, you know, get getting outside, getting getting into the sunshine, and breathing in the fresh air. Um, good hygiene, like you know, keep keeping your environment and as well as your body clean. Um, adequate rest, you know, making sure that for whatever your body needs, you're getting enough sleep and that it's restful sleep, that you're, you're not waking up constantly during the night, you know, cause that's when your body does a real, a lot of repair. Um, you know, eating and drinking clean, try, trying to make sure you stay really well hydrated. You, you end up needing about, um, about a full ounce of water for every kilogram of weight that your body is. So, you know, if, if you weigh, about 150 pounds, divide that in half, and it's a pretty good estimate. But you would need about 75 ounces of water every single day just to keep yourself properly hydrated. And it keeps everything um, functioning a little bit more efficiently in the body. And then um, I think I had added on a couple things, um, like get, getting exercise, making sure that to whatever your ability is, that you are actually moving your body, getting some exercise, um, that you've got adequate shelter and clothing for the for the situation, and yeah, like what you were saying, it's it's kind of scary thinking of them running out of heating fuel in Europe this this winter. Well, the ability to get foods impaired too, because the mm-hmm. the transportation of raw materials is impaired. So I mean, it's it's it could. I, I've talked to a couple of European economists, and they're afraid to come on my show because they're afraid the government will come and get them. And I'm being very serious; they're both out of Germany, and mm-hmm. and it's it's so dire there. But we're not immune to this either. And this is where people are going to have to get creative uh, in terms of their own health care, not to mention food and other variables. But we're not talking about that here. There was something you also talked about in Chapter 4. Oh, let me back up for a second. What you just said in, about Chapter 2 
in there about, um, you know, basically self-care. That carries over to people who have asthma. That carries over to people who have diabetes. Because what do they tell you about diabetes? People who exercise and diet properly can often go off their medication, no metformin. So, right. so I mean, that that's right there. Not only are you keeping yourself healthy, but you can begin to manage some chronic conditions if you maintain uh, those areas. And that's something I wanted to mention. Okay, in Chapter 4, you did something here that I think is brilliant. Okay. And, and it's, let me tell you, folks, this book, it's it's a, a sixth grader could read this. She's taken the complex, Hillary took the complex, and made it very, very simple. This is easy to read, and she documents everything. And she says, okay, you need a first aid ha- ha- uh, handbook. But then she tells you where to go to get it. See, I love this here. But let's go through a few of the things you think people need to have in their personal library. So if something comes up, they go, I don't know how to do that. But they can go to an easy reference guide. What do you recommend they get? Um, Everyone should have a basic drug book in their house. And I I really recommend getting one that nurses use. Um, There's actually one called nursing and every every year it changes like this year would be nursing 2022 Um, they have updated guides it breaks down each individual medication tells you about the uses the doses the side effects things to look for um, signs that you need to discontinue the medication Um, very very helpful is because it also includes all of the -the over-the-counter medications as well and if it were kind of a grid down situation you would probably be stuck with whatever medications you happen to have on hand, and hopefully you would have a lot of over-the-counters. Um, a, a basic nursing skills guide, and this would be um, just a basic guide that would show you how to do things like changing a bandage or, um, you know, pr- providing, um, like, like if you get something in your eye, irrigating your eye, you know, things like that. Um, first aid handbook would a first aid handbook would be extremely helpful, and I have a few of these for different age ranges. Um, I have have one for pediatrics as well as one for one for general, and that is really helpful because they cover not only some of the basic skills but also a little bit more of the advanced trauma, you know how to how to stabilize broken bones, back injuries, things like that. And um, I, I like the quick reference guides as well, which are the um, guides you can get at the bookstore. They're really, really small. They're meant to, they're meant for residents and nurses to carry them in their pockets. So they're super tiny. The, the font is really, really small, but it has a lot of information packed in there, and it's really portable. So you can throw it into like your emergency bag if you have one that you keep in your car. And 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 I and I do. I recommend everyone do that too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well. Um, also in your book, you talk about pain management. And yeah. this could be critical because there's no paramedics coming to take care of you in this kind of a grid-down crisis or whatever crisis it would be. And and so you have to manage people's pain. We know that can become so severe that people could go into shock and even die. So what would you tell people about helping others manage pain? So I guess there are a few different things that I would that I'd recommend. So first of all, we have a lot of over-the-counter medications like oral tablets, uh, drinking like solutions that you can drink, like what kids take for medication. You know, between between like acetaminophen, ibuprofen, and uh, naproxen, we have a lot of different options there. So that's a good place to begin. Um, but also just some of the, some of the non-medicinal basics, like we, we call it rice in nursing, where it's rice, 
or I'm sorry, <laughs> rust, ice, compression, and elevation. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, for example, if you, if you sprain an ankle, you would want to take, take your weight off of it, try to wrap it in something like an ACE wrap that's a little bit, that provides a little bit of support. It also helps keep the swelling kind of squished out of it. Um, put some ice on it and, um, you know, try to, try to keep it as elevated as you can because it, that all helps with the inflammation, which is part of, part of what causes all the pain. Um, so I, I really like, I really like ice a lot. Um, compression is very helpful. The other thing is that, um, we have things like lidocaine patches that are available over the counter now. And you can, I buy the packages of really big ones, but you can cut them up into smaller pieces as you need to and put them near an area that's painful. And it does help kind of, um, numb up the nerves a little bit. Um, tens units are also really helpful and they have those over the counter, and um, I used one when I broke my ankle, like in the in the rehabilitation phase. It was extremely helpful. How does that work? Uh, <laughs> it, you put a couple of electrodes on on your skin and attach it to the mach- to this machine that sends just a little bit of an electrical pulse through it. And what it does, it gives you just a little bit of a tingly sensation, but because it, it creates a disruption in your pain, being able to. Uh, conduct in your nerves it helps to disrupt that pain signal and at the same time when you feel that tingling on your skin it distracts you a little bit from your pain so that so that's helpful Um, and while i'm thinking about it distraction is a really wonderful method as well of of getting rid of pain if you can get someone to start thinking about something or talking about something else or um, you know play cards or read a book or something like that. Anything to take your mind off of pain is usually really helpful also. Yes, I know. I um, I don't know if you knew this about me. Uh, is Hillary had mentioned that she has uh, followed our shows for some time. But uh, in my training as a therapist, um, I actually learned what people generally call hypnosis. I don't call it that. I call it guided imagery. The Common Sense Show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for MyPillow. For example, they've got half off MyPillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now, they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. And there's other kinds of aspects, depending on how you use it, the name changes. But one of the things that we did learn was that distraction, if you can create distraction in the mind, you can actually divert attention away from the pain. And it's, it's amazing. It is. Yeah. And there's actually some uh, research that shows if the distraction is complete, long, and thorough enough, you actually stop the pain stimulus from reaching the limbic system where the pain is sensed. And uh, so which, what Hillary is saying here about distraction, yeah, I've had a fair amount of training in this. In fact, I get practical experience because at the dentist, Novocaine doesn't work on me. They try. Oh. Every time, but we can't give you any more. It'll be dangerous. And yet, can you feel that? Oh yeah, I feel it just fine. And so I've had to learn how to use distraction on myself. It, it's helpful too if if you're just really psychologically distressed about anything to be to be able to do that. That's true. You know, little kids inherently seem to have the ability to do this. 
and then we seem to outgrow that. But kids that are three and four years old, the clinical studies on pain have shown that that kids are really good at self-distraction when they're in pain, uh, where oftentimes they are less likely to become really traumatized by the pain like mm-hmm. an adult will. So it's kind of a built-in thing. I don't know why we lose it over time. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you, too, was about supplements. Um, I'm a huge believer in supplements. And listen, I don't forsake medicine when I need it. Okay, I don't forsake general health care. I think we have the best trained health professionals in the world. We just have corrupt insurance companies and uh, big pharmas. <laughs> so that's that's my view. But we have the best of the best here in this country. I mean, if you need trauma care in America, this is the place to be. This is better than any other country. But what do you tell people about supplements? Um, so I'm, I'm I'm one of those people that's not a purist at all. Um, I'm not all Western medicine or all supplements. I, I like to use everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that as long as we have it at our disposal, sure, you know, go for it. I I, I like supplements myself. Um, I am a huge fan of of some of them in particular, especially the ones that are really good at boosting your immune system. I mean, you know, you can, you really can't beat vitamin C, vitamin D. B vitamins. Uh, I, I think I, I had a whole list of, of yes, different supplements in there. Um, the other the other ones I like a whole lot are the ones that help you to be able to really like rest your mind at the end of the day and and be able to calm down and get some really good sleep. Um, I have always had good luck with melatonin. I mean, we even we even when I was in nurse practitioner school, we would recommend that to patients, um, like to the, to the parents of of kids who were having a hard time coming down at night and being able to sleep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's pretty safe to take in every age group. Well, I get allergies, and I use my friend Ted Brower at Health Masters. Um, I use a lot of his products, and they work for me. Now, perhaps they're psychosomatic because I've never studied this clinically, but the thing I would say is I know they work. And what you have done in here, I think it's on about page 140, 145 in there, you talked in the book about um, um, allergy control. And the very things that you have in there are some of the roots of what I take from Health Masters. Oh, you're kidding. No. That's great. No, I mean, he has brand names. Ted has brand names for what he puts on the products that he sends out. But it contains this stuff. I know because he and I have talked about it. When When I have a health problem, I trust my doctors, but... I also call Dr. Ted Brewer and I say, okay, naturally, what do you think I ought to be doing, Ted? Hey, look, he gave me supplements. I had uh, a torn meniscus over 20 years ago uh, from playing basketball, and uh, they wanted to operate. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of past my prime. Can I get around this somehow? I I don't want to be laid up for six weeks and go through all the rehab. So Ted said, can you give me two weeks? Yeah. So I took his supplements. And uh, he actually has on his website, Joint Health Protocol for Dave Hodges. It's what we used to keep me off the operating table. And it worked. Wow, that's incredible. It worked. So, And he's done the same thing with... Um, and folks, I'm not advertising for Health Masters, although we do on our website, but I'm saying not here on the radio, but but uh, healthmasters.com, if you, you say, well, I want to know about this, go to his website, because uh, Doug Hagman, really good talk show host, Doug Hagman had blood sugar issues, and Ted has the uh, blood sugar protocol on there. So what Hillary talks about in this book, I have seen in real life from natural health care providers who I trust, like Ted Brewer. 
And so you had the allergy control, and I'm saying, man, this is good because I know this is true. And you covered all here. You've got the respiratory. Um, I came across this. Let me ask you this question. What you say in here about the epinephrine um, mm-hmm. and some of the other things, uh, the things I can't pronounce unless I really slow down. And, <laughs> um, but you know what a lot of asthmatics tell me? Before they exercise, if they drink a cup of coffee, it really helps open their lungs up. Do you know anything about that? I, I do. Um, yeah, so it's so funny. I, I used to teach undergraduate nursing, and um, and one of the courses I taught was uh, the pharmacology. And there's actually a drug called theophylline. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. heard of oh, it. Yeah, very familiar. Um, but, well, it's a, it's a cousin to... Um, Oh, uh, what is the the stuff in coffee? I'm I'm blanking out. It's um there's a substance in in the coffee. I, I think I think as maybe part of the caffeine, but it's a chemical that's chemi- it, It's like a cousin to theophylline. So um and and I know I know for a fact that in the NICU and in special care nurseries when they have preemies or kids that are having a lot of difficulty breathing, they can do a caffeine infusion like a, as an IV drug. And yeah, it makes them cranky and irritable, and they don't really sleep all that great. But it helps with their breathing, helps to to um, to bronchodilate. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic. What you did at the so end of that chapter makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, no, I agree with you. Um, you have things like you're like nausea, diarrhea, constipation, because you're not going to just be able to go out in a crisis and go to Walgreens. But there is something I do want to ask you about. There was a um, a special on the History Channel, and it was like a three-day special, and I'm going to say it was 20 years ago, and it was really well done, and they had a pandemic sweep through the country and kill 80% of the people, but there were some people that were naturally immune, uh, and so this one family, they followed this family, and they, and they were using this as a how-to preparation guide, kind of like your book for the History Channel, seriously. Oh, wow. And so your book and then other survival issues, you know, beyond the medical. So this family ended up going from California and they somehow reached Montana and they had a lot of tribulations and each encounter with trouble, uh, preppers would come in and talk about, they'd have medical people interviewed. I mean, it was really well done. Here's what did the main character in the father of the family. He survives all these terrible things now he's living in an agrarian society in Montana, and he cuts his hand, right. and he ends up dying. And I assume, they didn't say it, but I'm assuming he died of sepsis. If that were to happen to someone today, and you couldn't get antibiotics, mm-hmm. is there anything you could do for something like that? Um, yes, uh, provided you have some basic equipment at home. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, there are some things that you could do. Um, for for one thing, if if you cut yourself, if you let it bleed just a little bit, blood, you know, act, active bleeding is kind of like nature's self cleaning oven. It's a way of getting some of the bacteria out. You know, it it, just, it's, it kind of pushes it out from the inside, and then it starts to clot. Um, but what you can do, if, if you have access to just some clean water. Rinse it really aggressively. Um, you don't even really necessarily have to use soap, um, but you know if you have any if you have any foreign bodies, make sure you get those out. And w- what is what's a really good idea is to bandage it thir- like bandage bandage it really really well and put some um, like waterproof tape on it so that you can't get it wet. You want to try to keep it as as dry as possible. 
keep some antibiotic ointment on it if you have it. And I I suppose if you were in a situation where there was no medical care at all, um, you could always clean it with a diluted iodine or a diluted peroxide solution. See, that's what I thought, too, when I was watching the show. Yeah. We don't like peroxide for just routine wound wound cleaning because it it is really hard on the healthy tissue. It can actually kill the the good cells that are going to help fill in the wound. But diluted... um, yeah, especially if it was something that was really filthy that you cut yourself with, that that could be very helpful. Yeah, it's just, and I don't think he died of tetanus. My guess would have been sepsis. Yeah. That's what I think he died from in the, in the show. And the rest of the show was so accurate, but this left me hanging. I'm thinking, okay, you're not giving any solutions here. Okay, you right. can't get antibiotics. Is there anything natural? And they kind of left that one out. And I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> I, I guess back then you would have really been out of luck. Yeah, well, yeah, they kind of live... See, if the grid goes down, we kind of go back to 1870. Um, Some people say as far back as 1790. And yeah, you don't have antibiotics. Uh, At least, you know, the supplies, the medical supplies will be gone quickly. I mean, the hospitals will get raided. The drugstores will be raided. And if you don't have it in your home, you're not going to get it. So that's why I think that chapter you write on the natural is really good. Well, I want to read to your title here, and I have a question on the second part of your title. You're kind of moving away from interventions that one can provide for themselves. Your title says you're on your own. Folks, this is something you've heard me say a lot recently, haven't you? You better get prepared for that. But then here's the second part, preparing for the impending health care crisis. Could you give us your view of the impending health care crisis? Sure. Um, okay, so I think when, when, COVID, when COVID happened and, and, and everything got a little bit crazy, I think it was a really good stress test of our health care system. And I, and I was really surprised at how quickly things started falling apart. You know, you were hearing these stories about, you know, hosp- hospitals being full, emergency rooms being full. Um, and it just, it just seemed like things were, you know, very dysfunctional. And the really scary thing is that was back in early 2020, and we didn't even have shortages at that point, at least not like we do now. Um, what really alarms me is that we, um, we've got shortages of a lot of things right now. And I don't think that the average person even has any idea because I don't think that they don't have any reason to pay attention to this, right. Until it's a problem. Um, but I, but I have been paying attention and it's, it's kind of startling. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So just run us through some more typical crises that you think could happen. I mean, let, let, I'm going to ask you a question this way. We have some studies, you know, like from Hurricane Katrina and so forth. Um, right. How long will people stay on the job? That's a tough one. Um, I think if I think if things were to to break down and get really dangerous, no one in their right mind is going to leave their family at home. Yeah. In Louisiana and New Orleans, it took three days at the most. Some left on the yeah. second day. Very few were around for the fourth day. So that was that was something that, and this is taught all the time. I got a broadcast partner, a show I do uh, with a former DHS, and this is part of their training. They, they learn about this. What do you think in the hospital settings, though? Do you think the same amount of time as it would be for the police? Oh, yeah, I think I would think so. Uh, my, my best guess is that some people who are there would probably stay, but they're but. 
I don't think they'll stay for long. I, I, I can't, I can't imagine that they would. You know, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think what I would do in that situation. If I had my family at home and they were in harm's way, my, my family comes first. Yeah, I, I hear you. And there's another consideration, too, that I never see. But as I pl- I got to take a class, I should say this before I bring this scenario up. When I was a junior as an undergraduate in my undergraduate degree, I took a sociology class called Natural Disasters and Other Catastrophes, Community-Based Response. And I got to go to NORAD and I got to visit the Rocky Mountain Arsenal and all these places and talk to healthcare experts. It was the best class I ever took. And it really opened my eyes up to how thin the veil for society is. So based on what I learned there, here's what I would think. Hospitals have a lot of drugs. (laughs) So number one, it's going to attract a criminal element just for the addicts part. And it's going to be difficult to repulse them, particularly if you don't have concentrated police protection. The second thing is, is people are going to be desperate for things like insulin, cancer medication, and they too could get very hostile. I think staying in a hospital for health care would be very dangerous starting the second day. Oh, I I think so, too. I'm sure you've probably read one second after. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I think it would be a situation like that where, you know, everything within a hospital would fall apart so quickly. And 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 hospitals are gun-free zones. They all, all of them have it posted everywhere. So anyone who wanted to come in there and and try to rob the pharmacy, you know, which is what happened, I think, at Mercy Hospital in New Orleans, if I'm not mistaken, yes. like they, they had some attempted break-ins. I mean, can you even imagine? There there would be absolutely nothing holding it back. And and if you were a patient who was completely at the mercy of whoever stuck around to help, I mean, that that's really not a place that you would want to have to be in if you could avoid it at all. Yeah, we when I was. Uh coaching and i was teaching at the post-secondary level we had a meeting on campus for disaster preparedness and it was a flipping joke um and i mean these people wouldn't have got through the midterm in that class i just described and so they were talking about well if you go home to gather clothes and and you're helping out here and people who are stranded and blah 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 you can't have any weapons oh no that's that's what they said and and they said because this is a gun free zone, and I and I spoke up. Sometimes I don't know when to keep my mouth shut. Says how I got behind a microphone, I guess. But I I spoke up and I said, so what you're telling me is that these are the killing fields, and this is the last place we want to be because we can't defend ourselves. And so afterwards, my boss, who is our athletic director, says, "You're a really good coach, and I want to keep you here. You can never say things like that again." <laughs> that's really a, that's a true story. Uh, I, no, I, I believe it. I, work, I worked in academics as well, and sometimes um, pie in the sky notions are just not in keeping with oh. reality. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a, real quick on this. A real, this is really true. We had these um, safe campus plans, which I shared with some of my fellow friends in law enforcement, and they laughed at it. And they said, "What do they tell you to do? Lock your door and turn off the lights." And says, yeah, that'll stop. Uh, that'll keep you safe for about two bullets into the door for they get it open. So what I did is, is I designed a safety plan for my class. I said, we're, we're going over the safety plan here today. And I took the one for the campus and I threw it on the ground. I said, we're not doing this. 
I said, here's what we're doing. How many of you want to help me? And so we devised our own. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. And I got away with it. So, yeah, we had a fire extinguisher setting one side of a door with an encased little wall there so you could get that. And, you know, uh, you get the fire extinguisher, go for the head, and then two people try to pull the gun down her on the other side. And uh, you just hope there's only one guy coming in. So we did that and a couple other things. But, you know, what they do, it's crazy. It's it's like it's babies in a bathtub. It's a slaughter. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an absolute slaughter. But anyway, um, going back to uh, medical preparedness, too, um, are you aware that the schools uh, by DHS back in 2010 were designated as mandatory, I'm trying to think of the, mandatory treatment centers and care centers for students. If they declare martial law, no one can go home. Did you know that? Um, no, but but that's kind of, that, that's kind of in keeping with what the school policies usually are during the drills. Exactly. Yeah. So here's what I want to ask you. And this was the concern I had, is that if that happened, by the way, we were never trained on this. This is something when I started in this business, I actually found the documents and I says, oh my gosh, they're turning the schools in like little mini FEMA camps for students and the teachers of the wardens. And, and, and I looked at this and I said, you know, every kid in their backpack better have a few supplies. So speak to the parents who are listening now, whose schools may have these ridiculous safety plans that will save nobody. But if their kids were to get stranded or marooned, what would you tell them they need to have in their backpack to help them at least increase their chances to survive? Uh, well, what kind, of, what kind of a situation would we be talking about? Mm, maybe civil unrest, maybe an EMP that takes the grid down, uh, rioting that enters your area, and so they say lock down the schools. That part I would agree with. You right. don't want kids out, uh, you know, on the streets and being victimized. But, but in terms of their survivability, schools have lunch food delivered to them about every two days. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not enough to get you through a crisis for very long. Right. So, Probably, you know, protein bars are, are something that you could pack a lot. You could pack like three or four of them, and they're high enough calories, some of them, that that would at least give them a source of some protein. Um, assuming the water's still running, you know, as long as they've got a water bottle, they've got some access to water. Okay. Now let's let's think medically. Okay. Put your nursing hat yeah. on. Are there simple things that would help kids? increase their chances of dealing with uh, problems in this? Um, assuming that they're not injured in any way, probably just some way some way of keeping themselves mentally distracted because there's not going to be a whole lot that they can do. Um, now, if they probably a, a basic medical kit would be a good idea for everyone's backpack, like where you have at least the ability to, um, you know, to, to fix a, fix a bandage on a, on a wound if something like that happens. What would be in that? Um, I would, I would pack probably, um, a gauze, a little roll of medical tape, um, probably something for, you know, insect stings, you know, cause kids, cause kids are, are outside a whole lot. Um, I don't know. A lot of kids tend to be pretty healthy. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else that would, um, be kind of relevant to kids. Yeah, if they had, th- if they had three protein bars, they could survive for three days. I agree with that. 
Yeah, I, I guess if it was a kid who had something like a serious allergy, just making sure that they always have access to, to one of their EpiPens, or if they're a diabetic, that they've got, um, you know, that, that they've got an, enough supplies when they leave for school for the day. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, what they do at these schools now, and kids can be trained on handling their own medication, but I know there are schools that won't even let kids have their own inhalers in their possession. They collect it from them and keep them somewhere. So you got to hope you can get access to it, or yeah. better yet, just keep them in their backpack and don't tell anybody. Right. So that's, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear you say that, but that's something that I came across, and it was DHS 2011 under Obama, and they were actually sent out a questionnaire to a lot of teachers on a random basis across the country, and they wanted to know who could build fences, who could do electrical repair, who had medical intervention skills, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, and it's not that I don't think it was a bad idea to, to really assess that on a campus. So if you get into crisis, you know what, where your strengths are. But, okay. but, I, but I just was thinking, I had never thought of that. So it kind of influenced what we did with our son when he was in school. Um, yeah. It was, um, okay, so do you think the healthcare crisis, as we know, without any dramatic event happening, um, uh -huh. is it going to collapse under its own weight? Um, it's, it's hard to predict. I think at this, at this point, at this point, I know that a lot of the hospitals are, um, operating on a deficit. They are having, um, apparently a lot of issues because they are, they are paying a lot of money out for travel nurse services. And that is, as I understand it, it's really, it's really creating a lot of hardships for um, a number of hospitals. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the smaller hospitals, especially the rural hospitals, have already been having a lot of difficulty. And, and I think I read like a, 150 or so have closed within the last eight years. Mm -hmm. um, so I think especially the, hosp the smaller hospitals are going to have a difficult time staying open. That's really an interesting point. I, I think immigration, especially in urban areas, has been a problem. You have to treat uh, people who are illegal migrants, you know, for colds and flu at ER centers. And that's, mm -hmm. that's not cost effective when you're not getting paid. And, and right. then, um, I, I, listen, I totally agree with what you're saying. Why is there such a nursing shortage? Is it because of nurses that wouldn't take the, the vaccine? You know, I think I think it's one of those issues where it's multifactorial, and it it's like the perfect brew of a lot of things coming together yeah, at once. Okay. Um, I mean, there's there's been a nursing shortage since I was since since at least when I was in nursing school back in the late '90s. Um, but it's just that right now we're we are also in a situation where we've got um, the older nurses, the ones with the most experience, the the baby boomer nurses. They are retiring, and they're retiring in record numbers mm -hmm. right now. Um, like, we yeah. have a lot of, yeah, we, we have a lot of nurses that are, you know, leaving their home base and going to do travel nursing for a while, which is, you know, basically a gig assignment where you may be three to six months at a place and then you take another assignment somewhere else. Yeah, and, you know, you paid well, too. We're almost, oh, we're yeah. almost out of time and I won't okay. do you service or the audience service. We've covered this book a lot. You're on your own preparing for the impending healthcare crisis and people are saying, okay, I need this. How do I get a copy? Okay. 
Well, Bob Griswold actually carries a few copies at his store, oh, really? Ready Made So you, you know my friend Bob Griswold, okay? Um, I have spoken to him. He's he's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, I, you can also you can you could go to Amazon and get the book if you if you want to. Um, you can get it pretty quickly that way, or you can visit uh, my my website, which is hillarymcelhaney.com, and I have um, a whole bunch of different things on there. But there's a link to uh, the Amazon site exactly. As well. And I, I just want to give the spelling out: M C capital A L H A N Y McElhaney. It's- and it's um MC capital oh, A, yeah, right? It, yeah, it's um it's um H I L L A R Y. Oh, okay. I read that. Uh-huh. Sorry, I read. M-C-A-L-H-A-N-Y. Well, we're going to post this, too, on our website, folks, when we take this live uh, in addition. So you'll be able to link right into purchasing the book. Hillary, you've been a true delight. We're going to have you back on as circumstances warrant. Thanks so much for coming on the Common Sense Show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate take it. Take care. Thanks. God bless. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.